Let us pray. God, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to what it is that you would have us here today. We pray that you would illuminate the pages of Scripture through the work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Our second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. It is starting to feel less and less like spring and more and more like summer lately, but we are still in Easter according to the church calendar. For 40 days leading up to Easter, we celebrate Lent, 
to prepare our hearts for this season, and then for 40 days after Easter Sunday, until we observe Ascension, we celebrate Easter and the proclamation of good news that we are called to make to the world. We've seen a similar trajectory of inward and outward in these post-resurrection narratives that we've been reading during the Easter season this year. The journey of the disciples learning to share the story of their experiences with Jesus starts with internal work and moves toward external action. First, we see what we need to do about our own hang-ups and fears and inhibitions. Stop looking in tombs for a dead God when we serve a living God. Don't stay locked up and afraid of the unknown. Then we begin to see examples of how we are to interact with others. Offer hospitality like everyone you meet is Jesus himself. Offer comfort to those who are hurting the most. This is all in preparation for Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down onto God's people and fills them. And when the Holy Spirit comes down and fills God's people who have been prepared internally and externally to spread the gospel, the church explodes. Today is our last Sunday that we will be celebrating Easter together. Next week we will celebrate the Ascension, and today we will watch the Apostle Paul figure out one more step, one last step in spreading the gospel when he learns how to reach those who seem unreachable by meeting them right where they are. There were few things that annoyed the Apostle Paul more than being surrounded by people who were living out worldly lifestyles and worshiping idols. Paul hated idolatry, and Athens was full of idols and monuments. There were monuments to just about everything you could think of. They had gods for good weather and gods for bad weather, gods for war, gods for peace, gods for harvest, fertility, for the sun, the moon, the earth, the sky, the water, the wind, you name it, Athens had a monument to the god of that thing. And just in case, in all of that, they had missed someone, they had a monument to any god that they might have forgotten. They called it the unknown god. They had so many gods covering just about everything they could think of that they all wound up being meaningless in the long run. So at first, Paul came in swinging with everything he had. He preached his little head off in the verses leading up to our passage this morning. And the Athenians quickly became as annoyed with Paul as he was with them. They called him a babbler. He was just some guy spouting nonsense at them. And it didn't help that he was preaching to a bunch of strangers. He didn't know them. They didn't know him. I spent a summer during seminary doing pulpit supply to fill in for other pastors' summer vacations every week at a different church. And those were the hardest sermons to put together because I generally knew very little about the congregations I would be worshiping with. In those sorts of situations, you don't know their history, you don't know what was preached last week and what will be preached next week. 
You don't know if the congregation knows the scripture well or not well. You don't know if the church family is in chaos or in a stable place. So I can sympathize with Paul as he comes in as a traveling preacher to Athens, finding himself in a similar situation to a seminary student filling in pulpits during the summer. He's preaching to people he's never met, and he has no idea what it is that they need to hear, where it is that they are in their lives. So combine that with the fact that he's already wound up about the idolatry issue. He comes in swinging, arguing with the Jews in the synagogue, arguing with various philosophers, arguing with people in the marketplace. Can you imagine if someone walked up to you at Giant Eagle or at the shopping mall and started arguing with you about religion and philosophy? He sounds a bit like a street preacher, the sort of guy that walks around with a sandwich board that says the end is near. Athens just didn't get Paul. Because Paul didn't get Athens. So after getting himself and everyone else around him riled up and confused, Paul finds himself shuttled off to this place called the Areopagus. This is the place in the city where new ideas are given a chance. It's where the crackpots are sent to test out their new theories and philosophies. They figure that maybe there might be something to the passionate babbling that this guy is going on with, so they give him this forum to speak in. But before he speaks this time, Paul sits back and looks at the people around him. And when he opens his mouth, he starts speaking very differently than he has before, very differently than we see him speaking in most of the rest of Paul's letters and speeches. Note that in this brief sermon that he gives, Paul never says Jesus. He never says crucifixion. He never says sin. He never says Jews. None of those words that Paul is known for using all the time. It's like he's speaking a totally different language. He points out this unknown God idol. Somehow, Paul notes, the Athenians knew they were missing something. They knew that in their own power, they couldn't possibly think of everything that God could be. And they knew that there was some sort of emptiness in there, something more that they needed. It was in his continuing to pay attention to the thing that repulsed him the most about Athens and its people that Paul discovered the road to conversation with them about the gospel. That conversation doesn't start with him, as many of his conversations do. It doesn't actually start with the words of the gospel either. It starts in his observations about Athens. They needed to know that he really saw them and that he wasn't just babbling. He knew their poetry and their philosophy. He quoted their own poets and philosophers. He didn't try to blend in. He didn't try to be or become an Athenian. But he made sure they knew he knew them and respected them and their culture and who they were. And then he found an opening into conversation, this unknown God of theirs. Now, I would like to say that in the verses following this passage, all the Athenians hear it and are immediately converted. But that's not how this works for us today. And that is not how it worked even for the Apostle Paul 
in the book of Acts. He definitely got a less than enthusiastic reception from some of the people he was speaking to. But some of them did believe right away. And the others who didn't immediately believe at least kept the dialogue open. They were willing to continue talking to him. He had planted a seed and trusted that God would water it. In our gospel passage this morning, in John, Jesus tells the disciples that if they love him, they will keep his commandments. And the top commandments that we hear Jesus leave with the disciples in the gospels are to love God with all their being and to love their neighbor as they love themselves. According to Jesus, love is the foundation of everything. For those whom the risen Christ is the foundation of their lives, their lives are fundamentally about love. And we see Paul live that out here, acting loving toward people he doesn't really like that much. And yes, he misses this a bit at the beginning of the story, which the lectionary conveniently cuts out this week. But this is where he nails it, this part that we read today. He uses their own cultural language. He doesn't use some form of Christianese. He doesn't use big, fancy words that he knows, but other people don't. He puts things in terms that they will understand, rather than getting angry with them for saying he's not making any sense. Paul came in, as many of us do, I know that I often do, insisting that people listen to his arguments for what the Christian church had to offer them. But if your question for people is what can the church do for you, or even what can I do for you, you're asking the wrong question. Because they don't care. Honestly. Go ask ten random strangers today on the street, what can the church do for you? What can I do for you? And you might get a few who ask for some rent money or some other physical need. You might get a few smart Alex that say something completely off the wall. You might get one or two people who ask for prayer, but most of the people you run into will tell you they're fine. They don't need anything. And I wouldn't be surprised if you got at least one person who turns the tables and talks about how much the church has hurt them. Forget helping. If we are to engage with people outside of these doors, as scripture calls us clearly to do, we must meet them where they are and then begin to talk. Listen first. Observe. Study. Get to know people for who they are and love them where they are. And that is hard, and it can be frustrating and slow. It's difficult to work out how our faith confronts a world that tends to not recognize God in anything, let alone God's call for how we are to be in the world around us. We can't expect those who do not live according to the commands we have been given as Christians to automatically understand our church language. We toss around words like tithes and narthex and gloria patri as if everybody grew up Presbyterian. We come out swinging like Paul and wind up sounding like we're talking nonsense. So instead, we must remember to live out those commandments of love and faith and commitment to God that Jesus calls for. And then, like Paul, listen 
and pay attention. As some of you know, I spent all morning in Sewickley yesterday preparing to host our speaker from Humane Action and just hanging around at the Sewickley Unleashed event with my daughter and my dog, who many of you got to meet yesterday. Sparkle and Gloria had a wonderful time checking out all the vendors and walking in the dog parade. I met more people in the community and had more opportunities to introduce myself and this church than I have had in the entire four months since I have been called here. I usually get weird looks in public when I'm out and about in my clerical collar, but just having my silly old dog with me was a game changer because people in Sewickley love dogs, and everybody who was out yesterday was there because they love dogs. Sparkle was helping me speak the language of the people around me. Remember that the next time someone tells you dogs can't talk. I wasn't just some minister with an agenda. I was a fellow dog lover. A few years ago, I was in Scotland with a group from the seminary. We were there to meet with leaders and pastors in the Church of Scotland to talk about how the dwindling church there is keeping afloat and how it is doing ministry in an environment that is growing increasingly apathetic and antagonistic toward the church. The answer from each and every pastor and faith leader we talked with was this. Figure out what people are passionate about, and therefore what they are seeking, and love them. Then when you have the chance, point to God. Some of the examples that we learned of include a church that started as a ministry to snowboarders. Someone got to know some snowboarders and started hanging out with them and snowboarding together. These guys were seeking full, adventurous life. So they began conversations about the full, adventurous life that Christians are called to in John 10.10 when Christ promises abundant life. And that led to a small church starting. It's not a church like this that meets on Sunday mornings in pews, but it's no less a Christian faith community. Another minister talked about how the people in his local parish, which is the term for the neighborhood the church was assigned to minister to, these people were obsessed with psychics and fortune-telling. So he and some lay leaders from the church showed up with a tent at the next psychic festival in town. And instead of tarot cards, they had cards with scripture on them that they played in a similar fashion and talked to people about what God might be saying to them through the scriptures that turned up. They also had someone there to talk about dream interpretation in the Bible. Through efforts like that, his church exploded While many parishes in the Church of Scotland are losing their churches, this one is a successful and growing church plant. Now, one of the first things I said to you all after starting this call was a reminder that having a pastor under 40 with a family full of kids is not the magic ingredient for church growth. It probably doesn't hurt, but I'm not the Pied Piper. In fact, sometimes I scare children away. But believe me, 
I tell everyone I meet that they should show up for church on Sunday, but in a way, people listen to me less than you all about that because my job sort of depends on people being here on Sunday morning, and people know that. Maybe I should just bring my dog everywhere with me. But right after telling you that, I gave a charge that it's up to you all to choose resurrection, to choose abundant life, to choose to follow the Holy Spirit into whatever the next chapter looks like. And so far, you've all struck me as being pretty eager to rise to the challenge. And so having journeyed together through Lent, through that preparation of our hearts and our spirits, Having explored this Easter season, how then to move outward, this is where we begin. This is where we have started putting together the tools for that engagement with the world around us. We remember that we do not serve a dead God in a tomb. Turn around and see where Jesus is in unexpected places. We cannot stay locked up in our upper room for fear of the unknown or the different. We must open wide our doors and offer hospitality as if every single person we meet is Jesus himself. We must offer comfort to those who are hurting the most, who are suffering their darkest times. And finally, we have to meet people where they are and speak a language that they speak. So now, my friends, as we prepare to celebrate the ascension of our Lord and Pentecost in two weeks, Let us go out there and share this good news.